Two weeks ago, I concluded our sermon series on the life of Joseph. It's a pretty interesting character to see how God really used just one individual to carry out or to fulfill a promise that he had made to his great-great-grandfather. Remember Abraham, the promise that he made him? That promise was that, that God was going to bless that family, and through that family, that they would become a great nation. As we continue that journey through Joseph's life, there were periods of his life where it almost looked as if maybe God had forgotten about Joseph, didn't it? Maybe there were times that God just, he, he took his eye off the ball, or maybe even God decided that he was going to, to use someone else, or he was going to try a different plan. But as we got to the end of Joseph's life, and as we were in Genesis chapter 52 weeks ago, what we saw is that God used even the evil that occurred in his life. You remember that, the evil that Joseph's brothers brought against him? That he worked all of that together as part of his perfect plan. And what we saw is that God used even the evil that occurred to Joseph to, to fulfill this plan and that he was going to, to, to save not only the, the nation of Egypt, but also his own family. Now, one of the linchpins in the story of Joseph was where we saw that Pharaoh had this dream that no one else could interpret, and God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream. And if you remember, the interpretation was that there would be seven years of, of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So once Joseph gave um, Pharaoh this interpretation, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of the land, in charge of all of the food. Now, the interesting part of that story is once God had given Joseph kind of the, the interpretation, that vision, Joseph could have just said, hey, I'm done. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I gave you the interpretation. I've told you what it means. Now my hands are off. Now it's up to you. But he didn't do it, did he? In fact, what we see is during those seven years of plenty, instead of just putting his feet up on the desk and saying, hey, I told you what you're supposed to do, he went to work. He made sure that there was a food that was being stored up so that whenever that time of famine came seven years later, they would still have plenty of food during that time. What I hope that we can look at this morning and spend the majority of our time this morning looking at is what are some specific ways that we can apply some of the lessons that we learned from Joseph? How can we apply them in our own personal lives? Let me try to put it as bluntly as I can. What is it that God wants us to prepare for now, today that he wants us to prepare for, in order to enjoy the blessings and the rewards for tomorrow? See, you and I, we will never reap the fruit in the future for the seeds that we don't sow right now, today. But let's just be honest for a second. Okay, I'll be the first one to raise my hand on this one. For so many of us, we are drowning in the demands of what? Today. That we're so stressed, that we have so many decisions, that there's so much going on today that we don't have time to think of what's going to happen five years from now, much less next month, next week, or even tomorrow. We've just got to survive today. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in, in just a few moments. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what we have are Paul's last words that he's giving not only to Timothy, but actually the last words that he's giving the church. What's interesting about this last chapter, these last words that we have from Paul's life is 
that he doesn't express any regret as he comes to the end of his life. In fact, what we're going to see is that he's, he's expressing forgiveness to those who have made his life difficult. And in this final chapter that Timothy writes, excuse me, that Paul writes, he is going to mention 17 different people. Say, so why does that matter? Well, to me, when I read that, and these are a man's last words, what that shows me, the fact that he's mentioning 17 people, it says that he understood that he was in the people business, that God had called him to love, to serve, and to minister to people. So if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. Let's stand together as we're going to read two different sections from 2 Timothy chapter 4. The first section I'll read are verses 5 through 9. And then I'm going to skip ahead and we'll read the last two verses, verses 21 and 22. Here are the words from Paul. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. Then let's skip down to the last two verses, verses 21 and 22. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You may be seated. At the beginning of the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he refers to Timothy as my true child in the faith. When we get to the second letter that we have, which actually is the fourth letter that Paul writes Timothy, we see that what he's saying is that, that he's calling him my beloved son. See, friends, what we know is that Paul did not have a closer earthly friend than Timothy. So as he's getting to the end of his life, he desires nothing more than for one of his final people that he would see is to be Timothy. So he tells Timothy, hey, I know that I'm coming to the end of my life. I want you to come and I want you to come find me in Rome. But before you come to me, there's a couple things I want you to bring. The first thing he says, I want you to bring my books with me. That interesting? He's getting to the end of his life and he's still reading. Because we know that leaders are always learners. He says, don't only just bring my books to me, but also I want you to bring my cloak. Because it was turning winter, it was getting cold, and he wanted his, cold, his cloak with him. But he says, more than anything, more than my books, more than my cloak, there's one thing in particular that I want you to bring, and that is yourself. He says that in verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me. What's that next word he uses? Soon. Then he says it again in verse 21. He's even more specific. He says, do your best to come not only soon, but he says, before winter. These are the last words that we have from the Apostle Paul. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is why did Paul think it was so important? Why did he stress to Timothy that he wanted to see him specifically before winter? I believe there are two reasons that Paul mentions this. There's a practical reason and there's a personal reason. The practical reason is that the Mediterranean Sea, it became almost impossible 
to cross in the midst of winter. It was dangerous for ships to go out to sea in winter. But there's also a personal reason. The personal reason that he wanted to see uh, Timothy before winter was Paul had a pretty good idea that he would not live past winter. He says that in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, as close as Timothy was to Paul, I have to believe that as soon as Timothy received this letter, that he packed up his things, he went, he got Paul's books, he got his cloak, and then boom, he's on his journey, on his way to Rome. Because Paul says, come to me before winter or never again. See, friends, there are things that in our lives which will never be done unless they're done before winter. There are opportunities that we have today in November that by this time next November, we will not have the opportunity to do. There are things that God is calling us to do today that a year from now, we won't have the chance to do them. There are people who are speaking into our lives today that next November, their voices will be silent. There are some things that we must act, that we must respond, that we must do now, that we cannot continue to put off or delay thinking that tomorrow we'll get around to that. Think about it with me for a second. Can you imagine if Timothy had delayed this trip to go and see Paul? What if he had waited till winter was over? Let's say he just said, I'm just going to wait till spring. It's a little easier to get there then. And he gets to Rome and he's looking for Paul and all of a sudden he, he, he finds this person that he says, have you seen my, my friend named Paul? And he says, oh, you must be Timothy. I guess you haven't heard the news, have you? Paul was beheaded last winter. But he had a message for you. Every time that jailer put the key in that jail cell, he asked, is that my dear friend Timothy who's here to see me? And he was disappointed every time. But he said this, tell my dear friend in the faith, Timothy, that I love him. Tell him that I want him to remain strong in the faith. Imagine Timothy's heartache if he did not make it in time to see his mentor, Paul, before he was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. We don't know exactly if that's how it would have gone or not, all right? But here's what we do know. And that is that procrastination destroys many good intentions. Let me say that again. Procrastination destroys many good intentions. We mean to say that word of encouragement to that person, but we just get too busy. We know that we should make that phone call. We should write that note, but the demands of life just get in the way. We know that we say, I want to get serious about reading my Bible. I know that it's important that I begin a, a habit of praying daily for my children, that I pray regularly, but then we just get so busy and those things never happen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the urgency of now. Small word, three letters now, but it's mentioned 277 different times in the Bible. See, friends, now is the only time that we have. We don't have yesterday. We're not promised tomorrow, but all we are promised is right now. And the question that I hope that when we are finished here this morning that we will all wrestle with is this, how am I going to spend my now? What am I going to do with the gift of today that God has promised me. 
Now, there are three particular areas of your life that, that I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to consider doing now, understanding that we don't know what tomorrow holds. The first area is in your personal life. Let me ask you, what's the most important decision that you'll ever make? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to go to college? What's your, where you're going to live? How many kids you're going to have? What you're going to do with your life? All those are important questions, aren't they? But those questions pale in comparison to the most important question that every single person that's put on this planet will have to answer. And here's the most important question that you'll ever, ever have to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Every person at some point in their life is going to have to answer that question. Too many people have said, well, I'll answer that question. I'll deal with my salvation. I'll deal with Jesus when I get through this stage of life. When I enjoy where I am right now, then I'll get serious about that. Hear me, friends. It's never too late to surrender your life to Jesus. It's never too late to say that I want to make him the Lord and Savior of my life. But I want you to hear me real clearly on this. I'm not talking about walking an aisle to church. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about signing some cards and, hey, now that, that's my get out of hell free card. I'm talking about a time in your life when you have understood that you were sinful and that your sin separated you from a holy God, that there's nothing good within you that deserves to go to heaven, that there's nothing within you that you can do, that you can bring before God and say, well, God, because I've done all this, surely you'll make me a child of yours. And because you understand how your sinfulness separates you from God, you understand that God sent Jesus who was pure, who was holy. He died on the cross to take your punishment for you and you accept your salvation in him and you surrender your life to him. Unless that has occurred in your life, you've never trusted Christ as your savior. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with walking in aisle of a church. We're going to have that opportunity in just a moment. There's nothing wrong with joining a church, but that is not going to gain you entrance into heaven when you die. You are going to stand before God Almighty and He is going to say, who did you say that my son is? Somewhere along the way, we've let this phrase, pray and ask Jesus into your heart, creep into our church. There's nothing wrong with that if we mean what it truly means. But there's nothing in Scripture that says, just pray a prayer and boom, you're a Christian. Jesus says, repent of your sins, surrender your life to him, and come and what? Follow me. Friends, have you surrendered your life to him? Have you surrendered your ambitions, your desires? Have you told him that I'm going to surrender my life, that God, whatever you want from me, I'm coming with open hands, I'm surrendering my life, and I'm placing my life in your hands? Friends, it's never too late to come to Christ. I don't care if you're a senior adult in this room or if you're a student. Don't go away from here today without having assurance that I've placed my hope, my trust in Jesus Christ alone and that is where my confidence stands. I pray that if you've never had that genuine personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that today you will turn your life over to him. Because here's what you'll find. You'll find a savior who is waiting and longing 
to welcome you in with open arms, just like that father and the prodigal son who comes running after you. You will find the forgiveness, the love, the redemption that you have been seeking and longing for in other relationships and other things and other acts. You will find that in your Savior if you will come to him. Don't wait. Make that decision today. The Apostle Paul says today, now is the day of your salvation. Not tomorrow, not wait until next week, but today is the day of your salvation. So I beg you, if you've never made that decision, don't hear anything else I say other than this. This is the most important thing, that you would trust Christ as your personal Savior. We're not promised tomorrow, but we do have today. Now, for those of us here who have trusted Christ as Savior, we have a question to answer as well. It's a difficult question, and that question is, when is the last time that you shared your faith in Jesus Christ with an unbeliever? Think about it. When's the last time that you sat down, you had an intentional conversation with someone that, that wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ, that thought they were going to heaven maybe because of good things or they came to church at Christmas time or they gave an offering, they gave money, it's the Salvation Army. But when's the last time you said, let me tell you about why I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you what it means according to the Bible to be a child of God. I'll make it a little easier for you. When's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time that someone sitting next to you wasn't the person that's always sitting next to you, but it was a guest, a friend, a neighbor, a family member? Lifeway Research said that 80% of those who attended church one or more times a month. I'm putting all of us in that category, all right? This can be your once a month for those of you that want that to be. Um, that's probably you. 80% believe they have a personal responsibility to share their That's good news. That eight out of 10 believe what the Bible says, that we're called as Christians who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are called, we have a responsibility to share that message of Jesus Christ. However, of that 80%, 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the past six months. Now, let's just be gut level honest here, okay? The reason we don't share our faith with other people, it's not because we haven't been to a seminar. It's not because we haven't been to a six-week class where they teach us an acrostic and we can memorize it on our hand or use some acronym the reason that we don't share our faith, the reason we don't share about what Jesus has done in our life is because it reveals a loss of awe about the depths of which Jesus went to in order to rescue us. See, friends, if we are still in awe of this holy God who would pursue us even in our sin, who would rescue us out of the depths of sin when we were enemies of God bound for hell, that he would come not because of anything we've done, but because of his goodness, because of his grace, that he would redeem us, that he would purchase us back, that he would call us a child of God from an enemy to a child, to a joint heir with Christ. If we were still in awe of that, we'd share it, wouldn't we? because we share what we're in awe of. If we are convinced that the news of Jesus is life-changing, that the news of Jesus is life-altering, then we can't help but spread it. See, we share what we find is amazing, don't we? Think about it with me. 
When's the last time you went to a new restaurant and it was amazing? What'd you do? You told other people, right? You gotta check this place out, it's incredible. It's called Chick-fil-A, I'm just kidding, all right? Um, but you're gonna share about it, okay? What about when, when you've got a new app on your phone or a new piece of software that makes your life easier? You, you share that with other people, you share it with the people you work with. What about a, a new CD that comes out on Spotify that you wanna to listen to or there's a new game or there's, there's something else incredible that comes out, there's a new movie. You tell other people about it. What about that time that your team was doing really well, <coughs> Alabama fans, and, and what did you do? You were, we were obnoxious about it. You told everybody about it, right? Go ahead. You're going you're gonna to admit that. Because we spread what we are in awe of. We talk about what amazes us. Look at our Facebook page. Look at what's on our Instagram account. We talk about what we are in awe of. Now hear me on this. The last thing I want is to be a church that points a finger in our face. This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. Without saying, hey, how can we do better? How can we take one step forward in that walk with the Lord? In 2019, you're going to see us transition a lot towards this. We're not going to continue. We're not going to water down God's word. We're going to preach the truth from, from the beginning to the end, okay? But my hope is that we don't just pound our Bibles and point our fingers in people's face, but instead we would be a church filled with grace, that we would be a church that this is the truth, but then we're going to put our arm around you and say, because we love you, because we want what God wants for you, we're going to walk in grace with you. Someone told me this, instead of a church building crosswalks, let's build sidewalks. Let's walk along sinners and say, it's because I love you, I can't let you continue to walk in this way, but because I love you, let me help you. Let me share what Jesus says about this. So on the end of your pews, I think it's on this side. Is that right? Okay, on that side there, there are some gospel tracks. I want you to take one of those. It looks like this. See, check which side. Oh, they should have them in the balcony as well. It says the message of the Bible. I want you to take one and I want you to pass it down. Here's, here's the way we're going to help each other. We're not going to just point our fingers. But here's, this is one of the most simple, um, well-read tracks that I have seen before. It's by a pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in this... You can read it in all of less than five minutes. It tells you the message of the Bible. What is the Bible all about? It talks to us about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Here's a bold prayer. Would you read this? Would you put it in your pocket, for, keep it in your car? Say, God, if you give me an opportunity the next month, I'll share this. I don't want you leaving this, I can't stand, and if you've used these before, forgive me. I can't stand those fake $100 bill tracks that you leave at the tip for your restaurant, and you know what I'm talking about, and they open it up, disappointed you shouldn't be. Yes, you should be, because you thought you had $100, and now we've just ruined the name of Jesus, all right? I'm talking about, I digress, all right? I'm talking about a genuine time that you have prayed, you sat down, and you shared this. Now, if you want to hand it to the cashier at Publix, that's fine, too, but just pray and be obedient. I promise you, God will give you an opportunity to share that. Let me make it even easier for you. How about inviting someone to church? How about, it? let me give you just three easy opportunities for you to invite someone to church. One of the goals that, that Matt and I have, have had several times when we meet on Mondays is to say, when you bring a visitor, our goal is that when you leave, we didn't embarrass you, all right? Sometimes we do that, but that's all right. We, we have a pretty good track record, hopefully, of not embarrassing you when you bring a guest. 
I want you to invite a guest, but don't do this. Don't just, hey, church starts at 1030, see you there. But be intentional. Say, I want to invite you. I'm going to meet you. I'll pick you. I'm going to meet you and to give them a specific space. And then we're going to go to lunch afterwards. I know I'm going to offend someone here, and that's okay, because I got a lot more, and there's still more to offend here. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of high attendance days. I'm not a big fan of friend days. Hey, come, let's pack a pew, because that just makes, it feels like we're just all about adding numbers to our attendance and saying how many we have. I'm all about personal relationships. Say, I care about you, and I want you to come because I want you to learn about what Jesus has for you. Three easy opportunities. Next Sunday, Dr. Robert Smith will be here. If you were here last year, you will remember Dr. Smith. I believe, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this, I truly believe that he is the greatest living preacher that we have on the planet today. I'm not just making that up. You do not want to miss next Sunday. He was my preaching professor at Beeson Divinity School. He preaches all over the country. If you want to invite someone to have a good preaching, uh, have a good preacher for once in a year, this is it, all right? Come next Sunday. December 9th, we have our Christmas music. It's never easier to invite someone than to say, hey, do you like Christmas music? Our choir, our orchestra, our student choir, they are practicing. In fact, isn't it this afternoon, they have another rehearsal preparing for it. It's going to be a great time, an easy way to invite someone to church. And then our Christmas candlelight services. On Christmas Eve, we'll have one. We'll have an identical service on December 16th. For those that are going to be at grandma's, you know, that live in Kentucky or somewhere far away, um, say, hey, you can't be here the Christmas Eve. We're up December 16th, the exact same service. Find a way to invite someone to church. Number two, not only in your personal life, but also in your family. I would challenge you to evaluate what you are emphasizing with your children and grandchildren. Just take a step back and evaluate, what is it that I am emphasizing in my family? See, I think most of us would say we desire for our children to make good choices, don't we? We want our kids and grandkids to be in church when they're out of our home. We want them to, to follow the Lord. But for a majority of people, that's not the case when they leave our homes. Here's what I've discovered about a majority of young adults who are still involved in the church when they leave your home. It's this. It's that the gospel was central in their homes. The gospel was something that was talked about often. It wasn't just a secondary topic. It wasn't just something they talked about whenever there was nothing else to do. They didn't just go to church whenever nothing else was better on the calendar. It was central in their homes. See, if you want your children, if you want your grandchildren to love the Lord, how are you leading them by example? Let me ask you a difficult question. And as I ask this question, understand Lindsay and I ask this question every single day. So this is not a preaching at you. This is a question for Lindsay and I as well. And here it is. If your children, if your grandchildren imitated your walk with the Lord, would you be pleased? If they had the same relationship with Jesus that you had, would you say, oh man, I'm so thrilled. It's so easy to blame secondary sources. It's so easy. Oh, the world's just so bad today. Oh, the media's so bad. No, no, no. What are you doing to say, I want you to have the same relationship with Jesus that I have? Paul David Tripp in his parenting book, he says this. He says, I think that we would be shocked if we knew how many homes of parents 
who love to sing God's grace on Sunday completely forget that, that grace as they parent their children the rest of the week. But without the intervention of God's grace, your children will not be who they are supposed to be or do what they are supposed to do. Friends, the best thing that we can do for our children, the best thing that we can do for our grandchildren is not give them a long list of regulations of here's what you should and shouldn't do. The best thing, hear me on this, the best thing that we can do for our families is to show them what it looks like to be passionate about following Jesus Christ. The best thing that we can do is say, hey, I'm going to show you church is important to me. Being a part of a faith community, being involved, serving the Lord, going on a mission trip, it's important to me. Why? Because you've seen me do it. You didn't just hear me talk about it. You didn't just see it in your Sunday school class. You saw it lived out in our home. Secondly, maybe today God's challenged you to simply express appreciation to those you love. Didn't we see this clearly demonstrated at the end of Joseph's life? Excuse me, of Jacob's life. When they're reunited together, and they, had all, they must have had all these things. That I, I've been meaning to tell you. I wanted to tell you this. And oh, I never thought I'd see you. So I didn't know I, I could feel. They got to catch up and express their love. Remember it says that they clung to each other's necks and they, they could not stop crying because they were expressing their love. Let me make it a little more personal. For the past month, has our church family not seen through the life of Lee Edwards how life can change in an instant? We think we've got everything ahead of us. We think we've got all the time ahead of us, but in an instant, we are not promised tomorrow. Here's my encouragement. Maybe you should write a a handwritten note of encouragement to someone who's made an impact in your life. Do you know that on average, a person will receive a handwritten note in their mailbox only one time every seven weeks. Now you get all kinds of, right now you're getting all those political ads in your mailbox, okay? But not many handwritten notes. A handwritten note, it shows that a personal investment that you've placed in them is expressing appreciation much more than a text, much more than an email. By the way, you're probably gonna keep that note, aren't you? Here's my challenge. What if you made it your goal to write one handwritten note a week? Imagine the difference that you can make in someone's life, just to tell them how much you appreciate them. So we've talked about your personal life, we've talked about your family, let me close by saying how we can be challenged right here in your own church. The first is simply to serve. See friends, there's a difference between saying I belong, I go to First Baptist Church to cater, and saying I'm involved, I'm invested, I'm a part of what God is doing. If you're a member of this church, this is just for members, let me encourage you, find a place to serve. God is doing an incredible work in and through First Baptist Church. And my encouragement is find a way, some way, to not just sit in the pew on Sundays, to not sit in a class on Sundays and just be recipients of the blessings and just sit and soak and receive all the blessings, but instead say, God, how can I give myself away? Because it's not until you give as a part of being a part of a church family that you will find the true blessing of what it means to be a church member. Anyone can sit and receive, but if we're growing in our walk with the Lord, then we should say, God, how can I serve you? How can I be a part of your chosen instrument to reveal your grace to the world? 
You say, well, well Blake, I, I'm not called to teach. I, I'm not a teacher. So how can I serve? I'm glad you asked. Let me just give you five simple ways that you can serve. And I'm not just saying serve and boom, you check it off. I'm talking about you can make an impact. Number one, how about being a go bus driver? Our go bus through Jill Palmer's leadership continues to pick up almost a dozen children and families that would not be at church unless the bus were to go and pick them up. We need more people that will say, I'll drive the bus one time every eight weeks. That's not asking very much. I dream of a day that we have two or three buses that are picking people up and showing them the love of Jesus. We need drivers today that can say, sign me up, I'll be a go bus driver. We've talked about the Seize the Brain ministry time and time again. We need more coaches to say, hey, I'll invest one hour a week and I'll go be a mentor, a coach, someone just to say, hey, I believe in you, you can accomplish this. How about being a greeter? Can you smile? Most of you in here can, some of you can't. I know that, just kidding. Um, can you shake a hand? Then you can be a greeter. We're talking about one time every six weeks to make that guest feel warm and welcome because they've made up their decision about this church before they sit down in the seats. How are they greeted? How about serving in extended care? And you say, oh, well, that's just rocking babies. No, it's not. It's helping us reach the next generation for Christ so that moms and dads can sit in here and can worship without worrying about that kid that's going all, going all around them, okay? It's, it's saying, I want to be a part in helping that mom or dad. And here's a new one that we're starting in 2019 I'm super excited about. Being an encourager for our homebound members. We have less than 24 homebound members right now that cannot come to church. And sometimes it's easy for those people to be forgotten about. Roger, under Roger's leadership, we are trying to find 18 to 20 people who will say, give me one homebound member and I will visit them one time a month. I'll visit them at Christmas. I'll take them a cake. I'll visit them at Halloween, whatever it might be. But that you would say, I'm not going, your church hasn't forgotten about you. We still love you. You can sign up and say, I want to be an encourager as part of that ministry. Just think about what you're passionate about and say, okay, God, I'm passionate about this and find a way to serve. Make an impact with your time that you've been given. Number two, commit to go on a mission trip next year. When's the last time you went on a mission trip? Have you ever been on a mission trip with your kids? Have you ever been on a mission trip with your grandkids? Let me encourage you to go ahead and make plans now. Mark it in your calendar. Begin saving money in your budget to go on a mission trip with us in 2019. We're going to Haiti. We're going to the Dominican Republic. We're going to Belize. You say, well, I can't, I can't go overseas. You know what? Roger goes every single month to the, the CCC, and there's a CCC ministry day. We're going to have a serve day where we're going to help some of our homebound members. The students will be going on a mission trip. Jesus told his disciples to what? Go. He said, get up off your feet, go serve, go out to the hurt, the lost, the dying world and tell them about me because the world is hurting and they need to hear the gospel of Jesus. We're not called to just sit here. Mission is at the heart of the gospel. Now hear me clearly on this. That word go, it can and should look different to each and every one of us. It looks different according to where, what stage of life we're in, what our abilities are. Maybe for some of us, it's right here in our own backyard, and that's great. But for others, maybe God's calling you to serve somewhere else. Perhaps he's even calling you to serve overseas. 
See, we are all called. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are all called to live as full-time missionaries right here where we work and where we live. Remember, Paul says that we are to live as what? Aliens and strangers in this world. Don't hold so tightly to this world because this world is not our home. But I have no doubt that while each and every one of us, we're called to live as missionaries in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, I have no doubt in my mind that there may be someone here today that God is laying on your heart to surrender your life, to serve him full-time overseas as an international missionary. Here's what I'm asking you. Will you pray this dangerous prayer? It's, it may be the most dangerous prayer you can make. Danny Wood, the pastor at Shades Mountain, I'll never forget when he made this prayer. I was in college. The scariest prayer that I prayed, here it was. Can you pray it? God, are you calling me to serve as a full-time missionary? Because if you are, the answer is yes. I don't know how it will work, but I want to be completely obedient. Can you honestly pray that prayer? Now listen, maybe he's not calling you, and hear me clearly on this. That doesn't make you less of a Christian if he's not calling you overseas. We need people right here. All I'm saying is, are you willing to come before him with open hands and say, God, the answer is yes, whatever you want me to do. David Platt, who's the president of the International Mission Board, he calls it signing a blank check. You sign that blank check, that check is your life. You lay it before the altar of God and say, God, I've already signed it. Now you just tell me how much and where. The answer is yes. It's a bold prayer to make. Finally, in your church, are you investing financially in First Baptist? See, we put our money in what we believe in, don't we? We put our money in what we value, what we trust. My encouragement is that as you look at your bank account, that you wouldn't spend more money in 2018 on football games, on eating out, or on Christmas presents than you would investing in the eternal kingdom of God. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go home this afternoon, pull up your online bank account, and if someone were to look at that, where would they see that your treasure is? Friends, teach your children, teach your grandchildren the importance of following through with the biblical expectation of tithing. It's easy to say, well, if I just had more, then I'd give money to the church. If I just had more, then I'd give more away. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said, if you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied, you make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Let me bring this in for a landing here. Growing in your walk with the Lord. I like to say just taking one step forward in your walk with the Lord. It's not magic. It's not just something that just magically happens. It requires action on our part. Action that turns into habits and habits that turn into life disciplines. Growing in your faith doesn't just happen any more than I can say, well, tomorrow I'm going to run a marathon. No, I'm not. Or if you have a terrible marriage, say, well, I'm just going to snap my fingers and tomorrow my marriage is going to be great. The key is this. It's being intentional. It's making a decision and then taking steps towards making that decision a reality. Two or three years from now, wouldn't we all like to look back on our life after for two or three years we've made good choices about eating and exercise and diet? Of course we would. We'd like to see the results of that. But friends, there's a huge gap between wanting something and actually making it happen. You know what that word is? Discipline. 
We can't just say, well, I really want to play the guitar. Well, what are you doing? How are you disciplining yourself to play the guitar? I really want this. What disciplines are you putting in your life to get there? Because let's be honest. We want the benefits of discipline. But far too often, we are unwilling to do the work that's required to get those benefits, aren't we? We want the rewards. Just don't make us go through the sacrifice in order to get those rewards. You know, most of us know the difference between saying, oh, every day at snack, I'm going to have some pretzels and some yogurt, or I'm going to go to Krispy Kreme and get a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Eventually what? The results will show up. What would the difference be if you made the choice now to put your phone down, turn the television off, be intentional with the time that you have with your family, go on a mission trip, invest in God's kingdom, share the gospel, read the Bible, pray. What would the difference be in your life? Hear me on this. You may not see the difference tomorrow. You may not even see the difference next week, but I guarantee you the cumulative effect over a year, two, three years, it will be astounding what God will accomplish in your life if you're disciplined about doing what he has called you to do. See, the Bible doesn't tell us how Paul's life ended. Scholars believe that he was sentenced to death and that tradition tells us that he was beheaded. But here's what we do know. And that is that Timothy continued the work that Paul began. Friends, what we learn from that is that you and I, we must be faithful. We must be faithful today, and it may not impact you and me. It may impact the next generation. It may impact the generation that you will never see, but it's important that we are faithful today so the gospel will be proclaimed in this church, in this community, and around the world for generations to come. This isn't about you and me. My encouragement is that you would put Jesus first place in your life. Don't let life just happen. Choose what you are going to do with your life. Because if you don't, you're going to get to the end, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to wonder, where'd my life go? What difference did I make? How I just wasted all this time and money and energy. As a follower of Christ, my encouragement to you today is don't squander this one life that God has given you. Choose today to make an impact for eternity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of Paul. I thank you for the way that when you radically came and transformed his life, he gave everything that he had to invest in your kingdom. And because of his investment, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, we have so many churches here today. Lord, I pray that we would be intentional with our time, that there are things in our life that we know you are calling us to do today, to stop delaying, to stop put off and do them today. Would you give us the courage to make that decision now, to make that decision and then to have the discipline tomorrow to put steps into place so that we can take that one step forward to you. Knowing that one step forward doesn't make you love us anymore, of course not. But because we understand your love, because we understand that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price, we want to give you first place. We want to give you priority in all that we say and do. 
Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, maybe they walked an aisle, they, they made a decision in vacation Bible school, but their life has no fruit to show of. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and today they would turn their life over to you saying, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve forgiveness, but I accept the gift of grace that was freely given to me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And today they would trust you as Lord and Savior. Do what only you can do in this moment, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.